This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 39. Is your home an asset or liability? Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Holly Bach, and here with me in the studio today is uh, my co-host, Mark Willis. Hi there. All right, everyone. So today we are going to be kicking off a new little mini series on real estate investing or really just real estate. We're keeping Um, it real. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. It begins early. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so really, we're going to be covering here in the next couple episodes a number of different uh, topics pertaining to real estate. Okay, so we're going to be diving into different kinds of real estate and then also real estate investing as well. Um, And so in this first episode, you know, its title is your home an asset or a liability. And we just kind of wanted to dive into what it looks like to own a personal residence. And, you know, is your home an asset or is it a liability? It can be viewed in a lot of different ways and you'll get a lot of different uh, feedback and thoughts from people as to how they view their home. So we kind of want to dive into that here in our first episode in this mini series. Um, And so a lot of us, you know, we were taught that we could kind of count on the equity in our homes, right? To be a major part of our retirement, our wealth building plans, and not really too long ago at all, a lot of times people's home equity was the biggest chunk of their retirement nest right. egg. Mm-hmm. You know, so someone would retire and there wouldn't be a whole lot in the savings account, wouldn't be a whole lot in the investment account. And that family was planning on retiring on their home equity. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to sell the home, downsize and live off, you know, the, the sale of their home, essentially. Um, many, you know, many of us even in the past made extra mortgage payments on our homes or only took out 15-year mortgages just to make sure that those homes are going to be paid off by retirement so that it could be that retirement plan. Um, and just to kind of give a little bit of a history and a background here, you know, from January of 2002 to the peak of the housing market bubble in June 2006, home values had skyrocketed by 71%. So in those years, from 2002 to 2006, home value skyrocketed by 71%. Nice rate of return. Yeah, not too bad. I'll take it. Um, But by by March 2012, though, um, those home values had plunged to a level that was barely just 10% above where they were a decade earlier in 2002. So a lot you know, I mean, a lot went on in yeah, that yeah. in that period of time. So, Mark, tell us about what things look like now. Then, well, you know, even since 2012, and even with all the inflation that we've seen in home values since the Great Recession ended from 2000 to 2018, inflation on home prices has not even kept up with inflation overall. Inflation, we've only had 2.31 percent on our homes, and generally in real estate across the country. This is according to the Consumer Price Index and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Only 2.31% over an 18-year period. So if you zoom out long enough, you know, with with that uh, wild swing up and down, notwithstanding, we've had a 2.31 average return over 18 years. 
Not wow. exactly something to get us out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, I, you know, maybe that's better than a savings account these days, but is that really worth the housing crisis and everything that everyone went through in 2008 when, I mean, we saw all the home values crash? Right. Yeah. No, it's important to remember, you know, prices in today, as of 2018, when we're recording this, are 44, almost 45% higher than prices in 2000. Again, back to using the CPI's data there. Uh, which essentially has wiped out any real gains we have on our home values. And, of course, that ignores the fact that those that lost their homes or went underwater on their homes during the financial crisis lost everything, you know. Mm. Um, so given that, it's hardly, uh, you know, hardly a, a little-known fact, I guess, at this point, that uh, that real estate only goes up. I think we used to think that. I think 10 years ago we probably would have ex- expected that real estate values are always going to increase but there's no guarantee on our mortgage statement or on our deed on our house that we're going to always have more in our home value yeah. than we did last year. Uh, in fact, real estate is subject to that same volatility uh, that we might find in just about any other investment. Mm-hmm. Well, ask, I mean, talk to the people that even still today that are trying to sell their homes, yeah. you know, that bought in 2005, you know, 2000, mm. 2004, 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. I mean, right in that range, even today, there's still people that aren't going to get it mm. out of it what they paid into yeah. it. I mean, depending upon your area, you know, yeah. different markets have recovered at different rates, but mm-hmm. still a reality for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, real estate is always a local market, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so then what about liquidity then? I mean, how does liquidity factor into purchasing and buying a home? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's important to remember that your home is only worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it when you decide to sell that property. Uh, Until then, all you have is a Zillow estimate or paper profits, as we say, (laughs) right? So Zillow might be, you know, saying your home is worth $500,000. But unless Zillow is actually willing to make the offer on the home, that value isn't really worth a whole lot. So, um, you know, many people are are typically seeing those estimates, as they call them, uh, as sort of overpriced. But who knows? Maybe they're right on the money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many people are pleasantly, unpleasantly surprised to discover how difficult it can be to sell that home to get your equity out of the house. Again, that is the only way you can get money out other than a refinance uh, is to sell the property. So, you know, a lot like trying to predict when to buy and sell a stock, uh, you really can't guarantee the real estate market's going to be up when you're ready to sell. And you have no way of knowing how long that's going to take. As you mentioned, Holly, some folks are still sitting on, you know, with a for sale sign, growing cobwebs uh, mm-hmm. in their front yard. Uh, and unlike the stock market where typically you might have, let's just say, 30 different stocks or a bunch of ETFs or mutual funds, you got one home. One home. That's a non-diversified asset class if I've ever seen it. So mm. that's one of the things we've seen is that loss of liquidity is, is pretty severe with real estate. Okay. So as you're describing that here real quick, though, I'm having some like flashbacks <laughs> to previous episodes where we talked about, you know, kind of this dynamic of paper profits before. And so like you were saying, like the stock market, there's some similarities here where just like how it, when you have the stock market and it says, this is the value of your portfolio today as of, you know, X date, January 1st, 2018. But that doesn't guarantee you're going to have that amount even on January 2nd. 
Right. And so it could be the same with real estate. Just because your home value is stated as X today doesn't mean that that's even going to be the value tomorrow or what someone would even pay for it potentially. So I guess as I'm thinking about our financial pyramid and what we've been talking to our listeners about um, in, in previous episodes, you know, where would you say real estate then falls into our pyramid? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess it depends. Is it your personal residence? Is it investment properties? What kind of real estate is it? Is it uh, unused land? Is it a you know mobile home park? Is it your personal home? So, what what would your thoughts be there, mm-hmm. Holly? Yeah, well, let's do let's do investing in personal. So let's just say I own a personal residence. Maybe where does that fit into my pyramid? But then I'm also interested in real estate investing. Where would that fit in? Yeah, you know, in, in the general sense, if your home is your shelter and you've got a you know it's a it's in a traditional neighborhood and it's you know or maybe a condo or something, you could maybe put that in at least the middle part of the portfolio mm-hmm. to the bottom part. Because overall, as we saw, 2.31% is the average return over the whole country. You'd want to look at your local market and see what your you know, returns are uh, and what the kind of predictability of that market is. If, if, for example, the government comes in and says they're going to build a highway next to your home and they have eminent domain, you might not get full price for that house, even if it's a nice suburban neighborhood. Uh, at the same time, though, it's more common that you'll put more speculation into investment properties, mm-hmm. mobile home parks, you know, things of that nature that aren't exactly your, so to speak, your traditional uh, real estate invest, uh, real estate property. Mm-hmm. And then yep. just as a, a quick review for our listeners, the financial pyramid we're referencing is just a three-layer pyramid. The very bottom, we're looking at assets that are safe and liquid. The next level up in the middle, we're looking at um, assets that are still safe, but maybe a little less liquid, maybe a little bit less safe as well. And then at the top is where we're looking at having all of our um, assets that aren't safe and aren't liquid, yeah. essentially. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, sounds like a personal residence is still going to be relatively safe, but mm-hmm. less liquid than, you know, cash savings or one of our bank on yourself plans. But real estate investing is going to be a lot more speculative, mm-hmm. like you said, a lot more at risk and also less liquid as well. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. You can sort of think too about control. So how much control do you have at the top of your pyramid versus the base where the foundation is? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So when it comes to uh, real estate and control, you know, typically the financial crisis, the credit lockdown that we might remember from 10 years ago, really made it clear how little control we have over the equity in our homes. Home equity lines of credit were slashed. Uh, you know, access to our money on our HELOCs or our refinances frozen without warning. Many people had supplies that they had put on their HELOC that they then had to pay back right away, uh, home repair supplies and so forth. So that timing is really difficult when the markets are crumbling again. Uh, not only is your home value shrinking, but so is your access to that equity inside your house. So it's it's really back to who's in control. Well, the banks typically can control that equity if they're the ones deciding how much of it you get access to at any one point in time. Mm-hmm. What about like, uh, you know, uh, using your home as a way to save for retirement? Holly, you brought that up earlier. Is that, you know, is that a good way to use our homes? What do you think? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, to an extent we've seen here, just based upon the numbers you shared at the beginning is, you know, really uh, appreciating property can kind of be a poor investment. I mean, homes since 1990 have only appreciated 3.01 
or 0.7%, whereas inflation um, has been about 2.95% uh, over that same time period. And of course, that's coming from the consumer price index. Um, and so, you know, we've and we also, like you mentioned, we have a lot, we have very little control over our homes. Um, I think, you know, we could really stand to take a closer look at kind of the other considered to be sacred cow in finance and politics, which is that inter- the mortgage interest tax deduction. Mm, um, right. You know, some people you might talk to, some financial gurus, radio hosts, other podcast hosts, <laughs> um, you might hear that, you know, they want you to pay off your mortgage as fast as you can. Um, but, you know, we would say as you kind of think about their advice and what they're sharing with you, maybe consider some of these points um, in that, you know, your payments of principal that you make to your home really are those payments earning you any extra interest hmm. yeah. you know, to you or are you making any money on that money, that extra money you're throwing into your home? Is it doing anything further for you? Okay, so that's the first question. <laughs> um, and then is the equity in your home liquid? Well, we just talked about that. Equity in your home is not liquid um, unless you're going to sell it. Um, is the equity in your home, you know, is it guaranteed? Well, not really. You know, like we said, we talked about how that crash can come at any time. And there is absolutely no tax benefit to having equity in your home. Yeah. Um, in fact, once you pay that home off, you lose your tax benefit. So right. if anything, paying it off faster, you only stand to lose. In, in the tax world anyways. You're guaranteed, since the mortgage is typically a fixed interest rate, you're guaranteed to pay more in taxes the more you pay off your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, man, that's crazy. Why don't more financial advisors, financial entertainers make this information available? I mean, sure, they could be gung-ho on paying off the homes, but let's at least share the other side of the story. Uh, you know, obviously you'd want to make sure that you had an informed listening audience, I hope. Um, so... You know, it's, it's important to realize that there's pros and cons to paying off your house. In fact, we'll talk later about the kind of the catch-22 uh, of owning property. Uh, I'll just share one quick story. There was a gentleman who uh, had recently divorced, and he and his ex-wife were having an argument uh, over whether or not to use the divorce settlement to pay off the mortgage that she lived in now. So she's living in the house, and he's begging her not to pay off the home mortgage with that divorce settlement. Uh, But she was concerned about feeling secure and not having those mortgage payments anymore. So she did. She wrote a check with the divorce settlement funds, paid off the house. Shortly after she paid off the mortgage, the real estate market plunged in her area. She also unfortunately lost her job, which those two things go together more often than you realize. But what else really happened here that made this tremendously hard was that she also became disabled at the same time. Mm. So that that was a shock to her, obviously, but she desperately needed that money now, now that she's disabled, can't work. And of course, now is the hardest time when the markets are crashing uh, to get access to that money. Banks aren't going to be willing to lend to someone who doesn't have a job or who's disabled, unfortunately. So she desperately needed that money, but now her money was locked up in the drywall of her house with no way to get at it. You know, this is obviously a heartbreaking story, but it really shares some of the dangers of following just conventional wisdom, what you might hear on the radio. Uh, so what can you do? you got to live somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is not a uh, anti-house episode, but, you know, you have to really realize that your home is your home. It's shelter. It's not a piggy bank. You know, I, I don't even think uh, I'd want to live in a piggy bank. It feels very uncomfortable to me. <laughs> so uh, what about equity? And, and, you know, the equity and the interest you do earn is just, in my opinion, it's an unexpected bonus. If I have any value in my home that I can sell someday, 
well, that's great, but it's not going to be the foundation of my financially stress-free life. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, our listeners at this point, they know that you know we talk about uh, bank on yourself and the bank on yourself strategy on this podcast. And in that situation, I mean, having a home mortgage really can make a lot of sense. I mean, you know, because we talk about bank on yourself, which is all about not using banks, right? Or mm-hmm. Yep. Banking on ourselves, using our own banking system of sorts, mm-hmm. you know, to to get rid of the mortgage companies, right? Um, but actually, you know, we would say that potentially could make sense to still use a conventional mortgage, even if you are a bank on yourself, or um, as 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 they say. Um, and so, what you can do is rather than trying to pay down your mortgage with every spare dollar, you know, that you have coming in, you can put those dollars into a bank on yourself plan, and you'll have all the benefits benefits that are going to be missing from building home equity instead. Um, and, you know, in regards to the fact that money is going to be growing by guaranteed amount each and every year, which we talked about home equity is not guaranteed. It's going to be liquid, home mortgage, or, you know, home equity is not liquid. And you can borrow against it uh, for the policy. You can borrow against it for any major purchase that you might have come up, including things of and relating to the home. Sure. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so no options eliminated there. And then if you really want to feel more secure, you know, where should you maybe be building up that equity? Yeah, it's a, it's that idea that you can still have the mortgage and then have enough in your policy to wipe out the mortgage if you ever wanted to. You know, another family decided that instead of attempting to pay off their home, actually they were going to go the opposite direction. They're going to refinance the home with a new 30-year fixed rate mortgage, taking advantage of today's historically low rates and get that tax deduction on any interest that they end up paying. That made a, a just 100% more sense to them than trying to pay down the mortgage faster. The dollars that they're saving each month, hundreds of dollars a month now that they're not paying on their mortgage, is going directly into their bank on yourself plan, which will, over time, give them more predictably, uh, predictability, more liquidity on their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so real quickly here, Mark, I know we also wanted to talk about liquidity a little bit um, and how that liquidity inside the bank on yourself plans can still provide a lot of great advantages for owning a home. Um, and really, I, I know that we we probably do hit on it a good amount, but I just feel like to an extent you really can't overemphasize the value of liquidity. I think it's extremely underrated Mm. um, and not discussed enough in our financial industry, financial world. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything's all about tie your money up in this, tie your money up in that. And there's nothing about, hey, there's huge value in having cash on hand. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and um, so that's my little little soapbox. We there got a, a whole, little bit, but <laughs> whole toolbox episode on liquidity. I think it's uh, in the seventeen or eighteen range. I think go back and check that out, guys, if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah. So if you want to hear Holly rant about liquidity a little bit more, check out that. Check oh, out it's, that episode. It's tremendous. <laughs> I think I think we go over like seven or eight powerful reasons that most folks don't even realize uh, come with having liquidity. Okay, mm-hmm. so you you were yeah. bringing up liquidity, but with with in regards to a home and the advantages to owning a home and, and how the liquidity is. Valuable, um, you know. One of those things is home repairs, which I kind of already just mentioned um, a little bit before. But I mean, just imagine for you homeowners out there, it, how often does something come up? You know, if it's not an appliance, it's the roof. If it's not the roof, it's the driveway. If it's not the driveway, it's the you know the heater. If it's not the heater, it's something else. I mean, just how often do things come up? I mean, all the yeah, time. Things fall apart. And mm-hmm. so imagine having a 
ready available pool of cash to be able to tap into every time one of those little things came up. So that when you saw that leak, that leaky pipe, or you saw that, you know, whatever, you fill in the blank, um, you would be able to just not worry about it and just know, okay, I got the funds to cover that. I'm going to take care of this. It's going to be okay. And, you know, even you can get it fixed while you're waiting for insurance to figure out their mm-hmm. their side of things, you know, even if it isn't, you know, something that could be done, paid for by insurance, I mean, that can take how long to get those claims filed and get the money to you. And so some insurance companies have the arrangement where you can just pay for it up front and then they'll pay you, you know, they'll write you a check for whatever you did. So you can get that repair taken care of, not having to wait for, you know, the, the insurance companies and everything there. So, wow. I mean, just imagine being able to just get your stuff taken care of and, you know, not being a stress or a hassle anymore. If there's a leak and it takes six months for the insurance to come through, now they have a mold problem. Now they have a, you know, log, you know, waterlogged floor problem. Yeah. So that's tremendous. What about property taxes um, and other forms of expenses that our homes might incur? Yeah. So, I mean, you could keep your property taxes. So, you know, most most homeowners have it set up where they um, have an escrow account that's established at the time of their mortgage. And so what happens is you pay more each and every month than is actually required for just your principal and interest payment to your mortgage. So you're paying a little bit extra and that extra amount's going into an escrow account that could either just be paying your property taxes or could be paying your property taxes and your home insurance, depending upon how your escrow account set up. Well, what if instead of paying that extra money to a mortgage company that's going to give you absolutely nothing for that money, what if you put it into a policy instead? And so then rather than, you know, having that money just, you know, kind of waste away in that escrow account, put it inside a policy and then you can pay your, you know, taxes annually out of your policy, get that, you know, discounted rate sometimes, some cases, um, by paying your taxes annually and um, then just pay yourself back monthly like you were going to be paying to the escrow account anyways. If you had a, if your property taxes were 6000 8000 bucks a year um, or, you know, 44000 like it is here in Illinois. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that <laughs> high. Um, and you're still getting the dividends on those policies every year. You're just pushing and pulling that money in and out, in and out of your policy every year. You can do the same with your income taxes, but it works just fine with the property tax as well. That's lovely. Lovely, lovely. Uh, <laughs> if you're concerned about your mortgage debt being a burden on you in your retirement, one of the things you could do is just simply build up enough uh, in your policy, your liquid guaranteed to grow policy over the years. And when you're ready to retire, 65 years old, 70, whatever, or at any point along the way, you could simply just take the money out of the policy, wipe out the rest of your mortgage. You know, mm-hmm. let's say you had $200,000 mortgage and let's say also you had a $200,000 in cash value. Aren't you mortgage debt free? When you think about that on, on, a, on any net worth statement, you would be considered mortgage debt free. You'd still have the mortgage, right? Of course. But you'd also have this big asset over here called your cash value. And on any given Tuesday, you could wake up and say, hmm, I feel like paying off my house today. And you could use the policy and you'd have the deed on your home by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a tremendous way to help give you that peace of mind without necessarily losing some of the tax benefits of keeping your mortgage, not to mention everything else, liquidity and everything else we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, just uh, just make sure that if you do this, this is very important, that if you do this to please, please, please invite us to your mortgage burning party uh, <laughs> when you have us over for the weekend, we'd be happy to, you know, celebrate your accomplishments and 
and say good riddance to the bank. <laughs> Be a part of that with you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Perfect. I love it. Well, I guess that kind of wraps up our first episode here today on um, real estate and our little mini series here. So just want to say thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.